0: There we are. Ah, oh, that's good. This is where I preach from. This is my spot. This is my nest. I want to start by uh, by sharing some common sense with you this morning. Anybody in here have common sense? <laughs> okay. I want to start by sharing some common sense with you this morning. You can observe a lot just by watching. It's common sense. Nobody goes there anymore. It's too crowded. It's common sense. Here's another bit of common sense for you. You can write this one down. This will be important to you later. Always go to other people's funerals. Otherwise, they won't come to yours. (laughs) This is, of course, from the great philosopher Yogi Berra. Um, But now I'd like to share some, some real common sense with you this morning, some things that I think might help you. I don't know what you're trying to accomplish, but these things might help you. If you want to go to sleep, close your eyes. If you want to boil water, turn on the stove. If you want to stay dry, don't go out in the rain. If you want to save money, don't spend it. If you want to play it safe, don't take risks. Common sense, right? My favorite one of those is, if you want to boil water, turn on the stove. That's good. I'm going to remember that one. Just file that away. Common sense, right? Keep that right there in this upper right quadrant of your brain so it's easily accessible here in just a few minutes. Smooth transition. We're starting a new sermon series today. We're going to call it Old Testament Godly. And here's the idea. Over the next five weeks, we're going to look at some of the most extraordinary men and women in the Old Testament. Some of the most extraordinary men and women of faith in the Old Testament. These people, they left everything behind, They left everything behind. They led nations out of captivity. They risked their lives. They defied the rules of kings and they rebuilt cities. What caused these people to do these things? What caused these people to do these incredible things? I'll tell you what it wasn't it wasn't common sense. Wasn't common sense. Common sense would have told Abraham to stay in his hometown, to keep his head down, work hard, and one day when his dad passes, he will inherit the family business. That's what common sense would have said. Common sense would have told Moses, stay out of Egypt and take care of the sheep. You killed somebody there. If you go back, they will kill you. Stay here and take care of the sheep. Common sense would have told Rahab to turn in the spies, and she'd be rewarded by the current leadership. Common sense would have told Daniel, just don't pray for a month. Just don't pray for a month. After a month is up, then you'll be fine. You can pray again. Just don't pray for a month. And common sense would have told Nehemiah, okay, grieve over your city, but then move on with your life. That's what common sense would have told these people to do. But I submit to you this morning that these men and women of faith in the Old Testament didn't have common sense. They had an uncommon sense of God's abilities. They had an uncommon sense of God's abilities. They realized that God was able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. And because of that, when Abraham's friend said, don't leave, you've got a good life. You're going to inherit your dad's business and you'll be set. Abraham was able to say, no, it's God that's calling me and I have to listen. So I want to take a look at a text this morning. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 12. And, and while you're turning there, let's do a little bit of housekeeping. Okay, uh, In Well, first of all, I guess, if you're a guest here with us this morning, man, I'm sure glad that you're here to worship with us today. Um, Please don't make this the last time you worship with us. Make sure to fill out that connection card so we can follow up with you. Also, uh, in your bulletin, there's going to be a fill-in-the-blank sermon outline. Um, Take that out now, and you'll get down some key concepts. You'll be able to follow along with my sermon a little bit better, and if I wander off, you'll be able to hold me accountable to that, okay? So if I get off a script, just say, hey, Tony, you're, you're wondering, okay? Can you do that for me? Alright, good. Last thing, if you have a Bible, feel free to turn to Genesis chapter 12 now. If you don't, or if it's easier, we're going to have all of the text up here on the screen for you. I preach from the New Living Translation. And uh, finally, if you don't have a Bible, why don't you find me after service? I would love to give you your own Bible. All right. that's all we've got from there. So, Genesis chapter 12 will start in verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. Simple enough, right? right. You know, we, when we talk about this Bible verse and we do a little bit of commentary on it, what we really need is one of those easy buttons. You know, like they used to have in the Staples commercials. You just press it and you say, that was easy. Right, And that's what we need when we talk about Genesis 12.1. The only thing that God's asking of Abraham is that he leave his native country, his relatives, and his father's family, and he'll go to the land. I'll show you. That was easy. Put yourselves in Abraham's shoes. <laughs> All he has to do is leave his country, his relatives, and his dad's house to go someplace he's not even telling him. This would be a hard enough sell. If God was saying, Abraham, you're going to end up in Honolulu. But he doesn't even say where he's going. He says, I'll show you later. For all he knows, He could end up in Death Valley. Or worse, Washington, (laughs) D.C. That wasn't in my notes. Sorry. (laughs) Abraham had a hundred reasons to say no. But he had the right reason to say yes. He had an uncommon sense of God's abilities. Abraham had every reason in the world to say no he could have said, I have good insurance here. The idol business is booming right now. I'll miss my family. Who's going to run the family business when I'm gone? It's going to be really hard. Where are we even going? Abraham had a hundred reasons to say no, but he had the right reason to say yes. You know, God makes a big request of Abraham. He really does. There's no denying that. We can't get around that. We can't circumnavigate that. God makes a big request of Abraham, but he also makes a big promise. He also makes a big promise. Take a look at the next two verses. He says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to those who uh, you'll be a blessing to others. I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. God was asking a lot of Abraham, but he promised a lot in return. Do you know how many parts there are to this promise that God makes to Abraham? Without looking, just somebody give me a number. How many parts or different aspects to this promise do you think there are? Somebody say five. Very good. That's a really good guess. You guys must have gone to Bible college. That's good. Yeah, there are five different aspects to this promise. Let me read them off to you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. You'll be a blessing to others. I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the families on the earth will be blessed through you. Now, by show of hands, do you think the the five different aspects to this promise is chance? Do you think that there are five aspects to this promise on purpose? There's a lot of halfway hands going up, okay? You know what Revelation 3.16 says? It says, be hot or cold, All right, Decide yes or no, otherwise I'm going to stop preaching this sermon right now, okay? By chance, by showing chance, <laughs> who thinks that there were five aspects to this promise on purpose, there you are, you are all so bold in your witness, I love it. Alright, yeah, this isn't by chance at all. There are five elements of this promise here, and that's very much on purpose. I want to explain to you why, um, and we've got to go back to Genesis chapter 1 to understand why this was on purpose. Genesis chapter 1, we'll start in verse 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea. The birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and all the small animals that scurry along on the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. How many aspects to that do you see? One, two, three, four, five. Yeah. Let me do it again. You ready? This is the next verse. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry on the ground. How many different aspects to that promise do you see? One, two, three, four, five. I don't think this is by chance. God gave five aspects to the creation blessing. Now if we boil it down, everything that God said to Adam, if we take the be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it and reign over all the creatures, we end up with something like this. God is asking Adam to shape the world. God created this world. He's now asking Adam to shape the world that he created. And in giving five aspects to this blessing to Abraham, God is saying something significant. You're the one I'm going to use to change the world. You're the one I'm going to use to change the world. Adam is the one that I used to shape the world, and it became broken and corrupt and sinful. But Abraham, through you, I am going to change the world, and all of the people on earth will be blessed through you. Same way that Adam shaped the world, I'm going to use you to change it. God wasn't just asking for a commitment. He was making a promise. Now at this point, Abraham has a decision to make. He's got got a lot of things to consider at this point. He can say, hmm, interesting offer, God. It's a hard no for me. And he can continue on with his life as if the conversation never happened. You know what would have happened to Abraham if he would have chosen to say no to God? You know what would have happened to Abraham? He'd have lived a comfortable life in a comfortable place. He'd have died a wealthy man surrounded by people he loved. But he wouldn't have changed the world. And certainly, nobody could have faulted him for playing it safe. Nobody could have faulted him for playing it safe. It's a lot easier to say no in this situation than it is to say yes. Think about it. Abraham's making some pretty significant trades here. He's trading comfort for risk. He's trading the familiar for the absolute unknown. He's trading his life for something different. He didn't even know what it is. He's just trading his life for something different. Why would he make those trades? Why would anybody make those trades that Abraham did? Because God had given him a vision of a better future. You hear what I'm saying to you? Because God had given him a vision of a better future. Why would anybody make the trades that Abraham made? Because God gave him a vision for a better future. Here's what God said. I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make you famous. I will be a better You will be a blessing to others. I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt and all the families on the earth will be blessed through you. God gave him a vision of a better future. And listen to this, God gives us a vision of a better future too. God gives us a vision of a better future too. Here's what he says. Just a couple of different passages of the vision that God gives us. You ready? He says, I will adopt you into my family. I will adopt you into my family. I'll make you a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. I will redeem you. I'll give you a new life. I'll wipe away every tear from your eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. God gives us a vision of a better future. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Everybody say yes. Good. That sounds pretty good. But just like it required Abraham to make some significant trades, it requires us to make some significant trades. We have to trade our comfort for the risk of following God. We have to trade our familiarity for trust in God. And we have to trade our old lives for new ones. We have to trade our old lives for new ones. And I can't tell you exactly what that looks like in your case because all of our lives are different. But I can tell you It's worth it. It's worth it. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abraham, Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran, and headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived at Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem, and there he set up camp beside the oak of Murrah. At that time, the area was inhabited by the Canaanites. Good job, Abraham, right? Good job. You did a really good job listening to God there. He did it because he had an uncommon sense of God's abilities. God had given Abraham a vision of a better future, and he trusted God to make it happen. He trusted God so much that he left his home for it. Do you know that Jesus tells a very similar story to this in the New Testament? Jesus is a parable, but listen to how Jesus puts it. This is kind of similar to what we just read. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field and in his excitement, he hit it again and he sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. It's kind of similar, isn't it? We see some similarities, but there's also some differences. You know what the difference is between Jesus' version and the one that Abraham lived out? Any idea what it is? What's the difference? One's in the Old Testament, one's in the New Testament. Very good. There's a big difference. Jesus says that the man sold everything he owned to go and get the treasure. God says just about the same thing. He says, leave your native land, your relatives, and your father's house. Abraham does it a little different, though. Here's what the Bible says. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. What did God say? Leave your father's house? Lot's a part of his father's house, isn't he? Abraham was 75 years old when he left for Haran. He took his wife, Sarah, his nephew, Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran. And headed for the land of Canaan. Now, taking his wealth and his livestock isn't the problem here. right? God, God didn't say don't take your wealth and your livestock. But he did say leave your father's house. And, and taking all the servants that he'd acquired while he lived in Haran is it's different from what God had commanded. And taking Lot, clearly a member of his father's household. That's not what God said. So Abraham did a pretty good job. But he didn't do a perfect job. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. I know what some of you are thinking, so let me just meet you there, okay? You ready for this? You're saying, Tony, give the guy a break. Give the guy a break. God just showed up in his life like a telemarketer, and all of a sudden, Abraham's leaving everything behind and going someplace. Give the guy a break. I hear you. But this is important, and I need you to hear this. Here's why this is important. Abraham wasn't perfect, and we won't be either. You ready for that? Abraham wasn't perfect, and we won't be either. When we commit to God, he knows that he's not going to get perfection from us. He already knows that about us. What God does expect is that our faith will grow stronger and stronger over the course of our lives. There's a big, fancy Bible word for this. You can impress your friends tomorrow with this Bible word. You ready? This big Bible word, it's called sanctification. Okay? And what sanctification means is that my faith will grow stronger and stronger over the course of my life. God doesn't expect perfection from me when I become a Christian. He does expect this. Here's why this is important. Here's why this is important, okay? Now, let me get there in a second. Let me get there in a second. A lot of people say, well, I've been baptized. Okay, Uh, and and I've been baptized, and and things are going good, but then, oh no, I I lost my temper. Christianity must not be working on me. right? You ever had that thought? I've had a moment of panic like that when I was younger in my faith, and I suspect that you've either had that thought or talked to somebody who has. You said, oh no, I've had forgiveness of sins and it just doesn't seem to be sticking to me. It's not the truth. There is a momentary event that happens in baptism. All of your sins are completely and eternally forgiven. Somebody say amen to that. All of your sins are completely and eternally forgiven, and you're given the gift of Holy Spirit, but the work of Holy Spirit lasts a lifetime. The work of Holy Spirit lasts a lifetime and that is the work of sanctification, of making our faith stronger and stronger every day that we follow God. So when we look back five years from now and say, that's where I was today? I can't believe that's who I was. And then when we look back five years ago, we say, praise God, I'm not who I was. Abraham wasn't perfect. God didn't expect perfection out of him. Abraham wasn't perfect. He didn't fully obey God as he left. He had a few hiccups along the road. He lied about his wife twice. He had a child with his wife's slave. And Abraham even had the audacity to laugh at God when God said, your wife's going to have a baby. Abraham wasn't perfect. But the whole time, Abraham was growing in his faith. You say, Tony, how do you know that? How do you know Abraham was growing in his faith this whole time? I know because years later, God called on him again. And this time, God said, take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. And Abraham's reply is silent obedience. The text says, the next morning, Abraham got up early he didn't question God he didn't try and bargain with God he just trusted God he packed up the donkey he asked two of his servants to come along and he brought his son and as they walked Isaac said dad got a question for you apropos of nothing else I see that we've got firewood not seeing any animal for the sacrifice mildly concerning to me dad and he said god this is abraham abraham says god will provide a sheep for the burnt offering my son they both walked on together abraham wasn't perfect but he was growing in his faith daily as he walked with the lord he was in the process of being sanctified Of course, we know what happened. Or maybe you don't. I don't want to assume anything. Abraham was there. He was about to strike his son. He was obedient, even to the point where his son was going to die, and he believed that God would even bring his son back from the dead. And in the thicket, there was a ram, and an angel said, Stop! You did a good job, Abraham. There's the sacrifice. Abraham's faith had grown and grown and grown. Abraham had an uncommon sense of God's abilities. After years of learning and growing and challenges and struggles and mistakes, Abraham turned into the man that God would use to change the world. Maybe you're in a season where you feel frustrated. Maybe you're in a season where where things don't seem to be going according to plan or you've recently done something real stupid. Maybe you just think, hey, it'd be nice to not have to struggle for a while. That'd be a good goal for me. Can I just tell you something? If you trust God, he will use those things to shape you. If you trust God, he will use those things to shape you. It says in Romans 8:28, that God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. If you trust God, He will use those things to shape you, to sanctify you. If you trust God, He will use those things to shape you, for His glory. But here's what it takes. It takes an uncommon sense of God's abilities takes an uncommon sense of God's abilities. Or maybe, maybe you're in a season where you're just listening to common sense. Common sense would say that morality is outdated. Common sense would say that purity is antiquated. Common sense would say that kindness is weakness. Common sense would say that you need to do whatever it takes to get what you want. Common sense would say, well, if it's not hurting anyone, fill in the blank. Common sense would say, God's just a myth that people used to believe to make them feel better about themselves. Common sense would say, I'm a Christian, but not one of those Christians who does stuff. Common sense would say, ministry just isn't a good career path. That one hit a little close. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> common sense would say, just survive your day. Here's the deal with common sense. Common sense comes from the minds of the majority, not from truth. Common sense comes from the mind of the majority, not from truth. What we all need is a little bit of uncommon sense in God's abilities. The only way to develop this uncommon sense is to put yourself in a position where you have to trust God, where you have to trust God, where you get out of your comfort zone. We have a whole bunch of different ways for you to do that. We've got different ways for you to do that here. We can use more teachers, and we worship, or in Sunday school. And some of you are going, that sounds terrifying. What if one of the kids touches me? Well, if it scares you a little, then maybe, just maybe, it'll require you to trust God to do it. We've got a Kid's Hope program at West Washington School. It's a mentoring program with children in the elementary school. You spend one hour a week with an elementary school student, and I guarantee you it'll change your life as much as it changes theirs. If you're going, I'd be really scared. I don't know what I'd say. I'm saying, good. Now you're on the right track. Maybe the thing that makes you uncomfortable is the idea of becoming more known around here. You like to come and not really anybody knows your name, and that's just the way you like it. You don't really think you'd want to go to a Sunday school class because then somebody might know that you don't seem to know as much about the Bible as they do. What if they ask me a question that I'd have to answer with, I don't know? I get that fear. I get that fear, but I also know that we have Sunday school classes that'll help you see God more clearly, help you learn to walk in his ways. I know that we have Sunday school classes that would help you develop an uncommon sense of God's abilities, and I think that it'd be worth you taking the risk. You can also come Sunday evenings, 6:30. I'm teaching a course on how God's grace works, how it works in your life and mine. And you already have to drop your kids off at youth group, so why don't you just stay? We have different opportunities for you to get uncomfortable in your faith, to position yourself in such a way that you have to rely on God. Those are some examples, there's a million more. But in order to develop an uncommon sense of God's abilities, we have to put ourselves in a position to trust God and not rely on our own abilities. I was thinking about this sermon and uh, I spent a lot of time thinking about Abraham you know, for the past couple of months. I've been thinking about Abraham and Moses and, and Rahab and Daniel and Nehemiah, but I've been thinking about Abraham a lot. And, and I got to thinking as I um, read the, the narrative of Abraham and his life and all of the things that Abraham accomplished in his life, I got to thinking about the story of Abraham, and I got to thinking about the different kind of stories that we want for our lives Some people want a big story. Some people want a big, grand, magnificent story, and some people want a small story. Some people want to change the world, and some people just want to change out of their work clothes at the end of the day. I'm not saying which one's right or which one's wrong. Here's what I am saying. Here's what I learned as I looked at the story of Abraham this past week. Big or small, doesn't matter. When you follow God, you'll have the right story. When you follow God, You'll have the right story. Let's pray. God, please give us the courage to follow you wherever you lead us, big or small. God, if we have grand ambitions and you call us to humble means, would you please humble us and allow us to serve you where you've called us. God, if we have small ambition, but you have grand plans for us, please give us the courage to follow you. But for each and every one of us, would you put our salvation on our lips so that we can be your servants to go where you lead us to. And do what you ask of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.